to turn our attention to 1 Peter. Um, we're starting a new series this Sunday, um, uh, moving to 1 Peter. We're, we're looking at 1 Peter for a couple of reasons. Um, one reason is that uh, I convinced Jeff Bradford that it was time for us not to do a hard-hitting, like, soul-crushing sermon series that looked at, like, something really controversial and in-depth and, 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 you know, like, uh, sex or gender or, um, you know, all kinds of sin and every, every way, shape, and form sin takes place in our heart, and, and that instead we should maybe move towards something a little bit softer and uh, a little bit more uh, approachable, maybe encourage um, our people. And so uh, he came up with First Peter, um, which is good. Um, I, I think this is a great series. First Peter, uh, you know, we've, we've been tracking with Peter a lot um, over our kind of like Easter week uh, series, you know, with our Ten Embrace service, we looked at Peter's denying of Christ. Um, and then on Easter Sunday, we looked at Peter's restoration um, in the Gospel of John, um, where after he had denied Christ, Christ came to him and, and very lovingly restored him. Um, and, and this book takes place, Peter's writing to a group of churches in Asia Minor, essentially in Turkey, right, modern-day Turkey. And it's about 30 years later. Um, he is now in Rome. Um, he's been dispersed, traveled all over uh, the world, um, been a leader in, uh, in the church, is an established apostle. He's um, very widely respected amongst Christians. And, and he's writing to this group of dispersed Christians in order to encourage them, um, to encourage them and direct them on how uh, they should live the Christian life. So this is an incredibly appropriate book for us to look at, um, something that I think will be really helpful to us. So let's look at 1 Peter 1, 1 through 2. We're just going to look at two verses today. Um, last couple of weeks, we've been reading it together, so we're going to continue that tradition. Um, I believe that Jeff kicks that off by counting to three. So I will do the same. We get a three count, and then we will all read this together. Can we do that? Are you ready? One, two, three. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, Illumine your word to our hearts. Uh, send your spirit to transform us. Fill us with uh, your grace and your peace. As your word says, may it be multiplied in our hearts. Um, and may we live as salt and light. May we be empowered to do that um, through this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I was thinking the, this week, I went and saw Avengers. Don't worry, I'm not going to talk about it. Um, <laughs> But I was thinking this week about how much I love movies, and uh, with today being Mother's Day, I was thinking back on the very first movie that I ever went to, that I remember going to see. My mom took me to see E.T. So, um, Mom, if you're listening to the sermon, thank you. Happy Mother's Day. I, I loved E.T. Um, you've probably seen E.T. Um, some of you are a little young. Maybe you haven't seen it. Um, but E.T. is the story of an extraterrestrial, an alien who comes um, to earth and winds up befriending some children uh, who kind of adopt him 
And, and one of the scenes that I remember that stuck out to me even as a kid, um, there's a scene where um, Elliot, who's the, the kid, the main kid who kind of adopts E.T., he's got a sister named Gertie, right, played by Drew Barrymore. And, um, and so she, she kind of takes E.T. into her room at one point, and, um, and she kind of has a moment of dress-up with E.T. Maybe you remember this scene. She puts a wig on him, right, puts a dress on him, puts some makeup on him, and, uh, and, and she's kind of hiding him in the closet, and Elliot comes in, and, and she, she says, look, and she opens it up, and there's E.T. with a dress and a wig, and, you know, and you look at it, and it's the most ridiculous thing that you've ever seen. <laughs> um, it's hilarious, because you have this pot-bellied, weird-o-looking alien dressed up like a human being. <laughs> the reason that this relates <laughs> to First Peter is because Peter is talking to a group of people who are like aliens. They have been reborn in Jesus Christ, and they're walking around in a world that no longer recognizes them. We as Christians, when we come into Christ, we are reborn, we become a new creation, and to the world, we look like pot-bellied, bug-eyed aliens. (laughs) We look super weird. And, And Peter is trying to encourage people like, hey, what does it look like to be the weird thing that you have become, this new creation, and live in this world. And, and in the, whole, the whole letter is concerned with that. The first two verses essentially serve as a skeletal structure for the entire book. And so this morning, we're going to look um, very uh, in-depth at three words that appear um, in, these, in these first couple of lines of 1 Peter um, and how they're described in this passage because it's incredibly helpful to us as we consider what it looks like to live as Christians and in this church in Raleigh. Um, So if you like outlines, here's the outline for this morning. We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at how we are exiles, right? We're going to look at how we are dispersed or scattered, and we are going to look at how we are elect. Notice in verse 1, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. the whole rest of these verses kind of describe and unpack uh, those three words. So that's, that's going to be our kind of outline and where we're going. So let's look at exiles. Um, the definition of an exile, right, is a foreigner uh, who's essentially out of their country and in another country. And I think if we took kind of a, our faith value um, understanding of what an exile is, we think of a, an exile as someone who's kicked out of their country, right? Um, They've been kicked out of their country, and so they're in a foreign land. Um, They may be strange, but they're not necessarily looked down upon. For Peter, it's important to understand that there are Jewish overtones to this word. Um, The exile for a a Jewish person would have hearkened back to the Babylonian exile. You might remember that the Babylonians invaded, conquered the Jews, and carried them off into Babylon. Um, Peter, actually, at the end of this book... Um, says um, that he is in Babylon, um, meaning Rome. Um, he's tying in to the Jewish theme of exile, and, he, and, he, and he's getting this sense of, like, as Christians, we are not only strangers in a strange land, um, but we are looked down upon. The Babylonians did not kind of see the Jewish people as equals or as interesting foreigners or as kind of, you know, cute uh, and cuddly. They saw them as, as slaves and um, ridiculous, and, and they looked down upon them, right? They persecuted them. 
Um, and so Peter, in, in kind of pointing out that uh, the churches that he's writing to, that, that all of us are elect exiles, he's hearkening to that. And he's saying, hey, we are aliens who are looked down on in this world. And he's, and he's also kind of like capturing the increasing tension that exists for believers in that time and the Roman government of the time. This letter was probably written um, sometime in the 60s A.D. I said it was 30 years after Peter was restored, and that was about right. Um, it was about five years after Peter wrote this that he would be executed by the emperor Nero. And the Neronian persecution of Christians in the early church was one of the more intense um, persecutions in the Roman period. Uh, and so things are kind of amping up. Tensions are increasing um, for believers who are scattered throughout the Roman world, and, and he's writing specifically to the ones that are in Turkey, in Asia Minor, right? So he's hearkening to their sense of exile. You know, even in the best of circumstances, Christians in this world are always exiles. Why? Well, here's why. Um, no matter what situation we're, we're in, no matter whether our government is friendly towards us or not, um, we have a king who is not the king of this world. We worship a leader and a ruler who is not the ruler of this world. The ruler of this world is Satan. This world is his kingdom. Um, and the ruler that rules our hearts is King Jesus. His kingdom is the kingdom of God, and it is expanding and advancing in this world, but this world is in direct opposition to it. We will always be exiles because we don't share the same values as this world. We love grace and love and truth. The world loves lies and corruption and sin and greed and all the deadly sins that we talked about, right? Um, all of the things that this world clings to are the exact opposite of the things that we cling to because of Christ and because of our transformation in Him, right? So even in the best of situations, we will be exiles in this world. But one of the things that has been kind of a reality for me in my experience is that over time, I have felt, and maybe you've felt this too, uh, that in the Western world, there has been the decline of something that we call Christendom, right? Uh, essentially, Christians and Christian thought and Christian um, values, right, used to be very central in the Western world. They're starting to move to the margin, right? We're we used to be in control in a lot of ways, and we're starting to be more uh, out of control. Uh, things are changing, and, and I, I feel this, you know, um, one of the things that's challenging for me as a pastor is, you know, always, whenever I'm talking to somebody, their first question is, what do you do for a living? And, um, and you know, in, 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 in sometimes that's fine, right, <laughs> when I say I'm a pastor, and other times it's not. When I was, uh, I went on a missions trip not too long ago to Rwanda, and Rwanda is a place where there's a real high regard um, for Christians and Christianity still. In fact, when I went to the customs agent in Rwanda, and I pulled out my passport, and they're kind of like, you know, what is the purpose of your visit, Mr. Sutton? And I said, I'm a pastor, and I'm here on a missions trip. It was the most amazing thing that I've ever seen. They were like, oh, welcome, pastor. Let us roll out the red carpet for you. And can we carry your luggage? Like the customs agent literally offered to carry my luggage. I've never experienced anything like that. Um, his total demeanor changed when I said I'm a pastor. <laughs> 
So that's what it's like in Africa. Meanwhile, back in the United States, we had a new neighbor come in, move in, um, and uh, we were taking care of some other neighbor's dogs, and we ran into them, and, and I, I said, you know, hey, I'm James. I live over there. Oh, hey. And uh, we started introducing, and she said, I said, hey, what do you do for a living? She's like, I'm a realtor. Um, uh, and I was like, oh, great. That's, you know, Raleigh real estate. Man, this is an exciting time to be a realtor in Raleigh. You know, all the property values are going up, up, up. It's, it's good. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're doing all right. I, I enjoy my job. We love being downtown. Yeah, it's cool. Um, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. Oh. <laughs> totally different. <laughs> right? There has been a shift in our culture where there, there's a sense in which as, as Christians, we're kind of starting to be marginalized. It, and it used to be the fact that when we were all central and we, you know, had power or whatever, or we're in control, there were a lot of benefits to being marginally Christian, right? It's like you'd go to church, right, to show everybody that you're a respectable citizen, right? And there were all kinds of social benefits to that. Now it's like you go to church and it's, it's not, that's not so much the case anymore, maybe a little bit. Um, you know, the reason that we feel that disconnect and the reason that I actually think it's good that we feel that disconnect, is that our alien nature, the sense in which we are a bunch of little freaky aliens <laughs> running around in this world, and that being brought front and center in our face, actually really connects us more closely to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because let me tell you, <laughs> Jesus Christ <laughs> was an alien. <laughs> he came from heaven, <laughs> right, from kicking it with the Trinity, being worshipped by angels, came down to earth and was totally misunderstood and marginalized, right? He did all kinds of things that were bold and, and offended all sorts of different people. And he was generous beyond what anyone would say was in his best interest, even to the point of offering himself as a sacrifice on a cross and while doing that, praying for the people who were killing him. He was the weirdest thing this world has ever seen. <laughs> and insofar as we come face to face with our weirdness, our differentness, as we feel the alien reality of our lives, we're more closely connected to Christ. The challenge is, is do we live like that? <laughs> do we live like that? Are we open about our alienness, or are we in the closet putting on a wig and a dress, pretending to be humans, even though we're bug-eyed aliens? I, um, I recently had this experience, which was kind of telling to me. Um, we had this friend, that, the friendship that we've developed with a, another guy in our neighborhood. He recently lost his job. He didn't have a lot of income. He was kind of between places where he was staying, so he came by, and he was offering to do odd jobs at our house, and so we started hiring him for all sorts of things. We developed this great relationship with him. He's a dear friend. Um, he's been really helpful. Uh, and, uh, and we were sitting on the front porch uh, one evening, and we were talking, and I, I have another friend who's an Anglican pastor um, down in Fayetteville, and he was in Raleigh for a conference, um, and, and he was going to spend the night at our house. And so I was hanging out with my one friend on the front porch. We were talking about all the things going on in his life. And then my Anglican friend shows up, and he's wearing a black shirt with a white collar, as Anglicans do. 
And he walks up, and my friend, whom I've known for about a year, right, who's been talking to me about kind of the struggles of his life, sees my Anglican friend, and he goes, oh, pastor, will you pray for me? <laughs> I was like, what am I? <laughs> Chopped liver? And, and my Anglican friend's like, oh, actually, I happen to have a vial of oil in my pocket. Would you like me to anoint you? And I was like, you're so weird. <laughs> my friend, my Anglican friend, his name's Elijah Lovejoy. That's his real name. Um, he had a uniform, something that makes him stand out. I dress like this and often understate my role as a pastor and even my Christianity because I don't want to offend people, because I want them to get to know me and realize that I'm not such a freak before I tell them that I'm a freak. <laughs> I want you to think about this and, and how this plays out in your life. I, I want you to start asking yourself um, a couple of questions, a couple of questions to come to grips with whether or not you're living out the exile in your life. Are you actually living like an exile? Question number one, are you okay with being despised and rejected? Are you okay with being despised and rejected? The early church, at the time when Peter was writing this letter, were facing a host of different misconceptions from the world around them. Um, some of the things that the Roman Empire, uh, the, your kind of like rank-and-file Roman citizen, believed about early Christians um, are kind of amazing. Like, for example, uh, most Roman citizens at this time would have believed that Christians were cannibalistic, that they ate people. So if you were walking around in, in Roman times and you were like, hey, I'm a Christian, they'd be like, oh, you're a cannibal. Yeah. And the reason they thought that, right, was because of this, <laughs> right? The Lord's Supper. <laughs> this is my body. This is my blood. Um, went to that, and the Romans were freaked out by that. So, you Christians are a bunch of cannibals. They also believed that they were incestuous. You know, how did they get that impression? Well, I, have you met my um, sister in Christ, Katie Sutton? She and I have had five children together, <laughs> right? Um, the Romans heard that, and they were like, what? <laughs> You're sleeping with your sister and having kids. I don't really know why the Romans were so freaked out about that, because there's all kinds of freaky stuff going on in Roman times that the Romans were doing, but they were, right? Other things that they believed, they believed that they were atheists. Um, they believed that they practiced orgies. There were all kinds of weird things that the Romans believed about the Christians that were misconceptions, that were rooted in misunderstandings. And that these were things that the Christians of that day would have had to face. And in fact, um, it was those misunderstandings that allowed the Emperor Nero, when there was a fire in Rome, to point the finger at the Christians. It's because these guys are such terrible people. Let, let's, we can blame them for this fire. Certainly it was them. And the Romans bought it, and they executed Christians in mass, including Peter. There's some misconceptions floating around today about Christians. I don't know if you've experienced that. Some of those misconceptions, let's be honest, we've done some things to earn them. Others of them are just outright wrong. But if you're going to openly proclaim that you're a Christian, you're going to have to be comfortable with the fact that you might be viewed as narrow-minded, as intolerant, unforgiving, legalistic, bigoted, 
The list goes on and on. Do you feel that in society? Do you feel that list of like tension where the society views you in a negative way? And are you comfortable living that out publicly? Are you comfortable being despised and rejected in the same way that Jesus was despised and rejected? Are you committed to not being the things that the world says about you while still being okay of being accused by them? Second question, are you okay with being more generous and compassionate than is good for you? Another situation in the early church uh, that they encountered is uh, there was a, 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 uh, an emperor, a non-Christian emperor, Julian. This is later. Um, he wrote once that, you know, the thing that really frustrated him about Christians was um, that they not only care for their own poor, they also care for ours as well. In, in short, he recognized that the Christians were not just taking care of their own, but they were taking care of the non-Christians who were, in fact, feeding them to lions. It's not in their best interest to care for our poor, and yet they did. That's the sort of like startling generosity beyond our own best interest kind of practices of the early church. And it mirrors the practice of Christ. Christ also was generous beyond His own good, even offering Himself up as a sacrifice. So these two questions are things to wrestle with. Are you doing these things? Because as you're doing these things, and the more publicly you do them, the more you will feel a life of exile, and the more you'll be drawn closer to Christ, the more you'll be pushed to depend upon Him. The last question I want you to wrestle with is, are you doing either one of the other of these, or both, or neither? There are some of you in this room that you're very comfortable being misunderstood, and you have no problem being an outspoken Christian and telling everybody what we believe and how our values are and where they're wrong, and, you know, they can believe whatever they want, and it just doesn't bother you. Um, I love you guys because I am not like that at all. I'm so thankful that, that, that you guys exist. Thanks. Um, but some of you, in doing that, you are absolutely, you have no compassion <laughs> for the other side. And when it comes to kind of like thinking about uh, the good of Christians in this country, you are pressing for our good and not for the others. There are others of you who are like me, you are total bleeding hearts. Someone will come up to you and ask for anything, and you're like, here's my wallet. Would you like my social security number and my credit card? What can I do for you? You, you love the mess out of other people. But when it comes to owning the fact that you're a Christian or talking publicly about the things that you believe that might be offensive to other people, you fade into the bushes like that Homer Simpson meme. <laughs> right? I mean, that's me, right? I'm to a point where I can know a guy for a year. He knows I'm a pastor. He doesn't ask me to pray for him, but he asked my Anglican friend because he has a collar and some oil, right? I need to be more publicly visible with my faith. I need to proclaim Christ more loudly. Now, here's the thing. You could be one or the other of these things, right? And a lot of us are. Others of us are neither, and here's the challenge, like, those of you who are neither, you're going native. You're trying to look like this world, and you're actually fooling people. You're like E.T. in the closet full of stuffed animals. Like, they're passing by, they don't see you, and they don't see Christ in you either. 
and you're hiding something beautiful and magnificent that has been given to you. Brothers and sisters, we're exiles, and we can't forget that. Um, all right, our next point is tied to the word dispersed. We're elect exiles of the dispersion. Um, again, the word here, some Jewish overtones, the diaspora, the Jewish diaspora was um, as a result of the exiles of the Assyrians and the Babylonians and also uh, the rule of the Greeks and the Romans. The Jewish people were scattered throughout the ancient world. And so Peter is again tying um, the early church and Christians to that um, broader experience of uh, the Jewish people in being um, scattered and spread. And, um, and that was the case in the early church as well. If you read the book of Acts, you see that, you know, the church started really in Jerusalem, and then through persecution, they get scattered and spread throughout Samaria, and they go beyond, and it keeps going and spreading like, you know, wildfire throughout the Roman Empire until you get to the end of the book of Acts, and Paul is in Rome, right? Well, in this book, Peter is in Rome, and he's, he's talking about this, this dispersed effect, and, um, and I don't have time to go into all the details about the early church and how it was dispersed, but here's, here's some quick-fire application for you. Are you comfortable being dispersed? Are you comfortable being dispersed? Because Peter doesn't complain about this. Paul never complains about it. He talks about how all of it serves the purpose of the glory of God and how God is using it. And he's, Paul and Peter both are, are put or a spreading, a dispersion of, of Christians all around the world. They are pushing the great commission that Jesus Christ commanded to go and make disciples everywhere. Are you comfortable being dispersed? Let me tell you, you're not. I'm not. We're not. We like our people, our safe pockets. We like our friends. Um, we like our safe spaces. We do not want to be persecuted and have to move and share the gospel with people that we are not sure how they're going to receive it. And the reason I know that that's true of us is, like, I run community groups for this church, and it is a very common conversation where I have with community groups that have swelled to, like, 30 people. Hey, you probably should become two different community groups well, I just don't know. We've just started getting to know each other. We're really experiencing great intimacy in our, our groups, and, and I'm not sure we really should. We're about planting churches in this church, and, and we've started churches, and we've tried to get people to go to new church plants, and people are kind of like, you know, I don't know. I kind of like it here, and, you know, the, the safety and the, the comfort of the relationships that I have here are important to me. We've hosted a missions conference where we've talked about global missions and going overseas and doing, you know, crazy things like going to foreign countries where Christianity really is persecuted. And, and people are kind of like, you know, well, that's, I'll pray for that. That's nice. Um, and there's not a lot of interest in going. Now, I say all that, and I know that's convicting. Listen, this is coming from a guy who has been in this church for almost 20 years, Right? I wrestle with this. Like, maybe I need to be a little bit more comfortable with being dispersed. We all need to wrestle with that because the, the call is not for us to huddle together and to create little pockets of community that have walls around it that never go outside. The call is for us to be scattered like seeds all over the place. And, and so the question I want you to ask you is, is, do you fear being scattered? Would you go? 
here's the thing. I, I, I know that this makes us all kind of uncomfortable, I, I, but we live in a time with a, such a global economy, such a global economy. There is almost no one in this room that is a native to Raleigh, North Carolina. You moved here either for a job or for school, and, and, and some of you will move away for other jobs. You're very comfortable being scattered for money. Are we comfortable being scattered for the kingdom of God? Because that's the kind of generosity that we're called to as exiles, to not be concerned with our own financial well-being, our own comfort, our own security, our own safety, but with the gospel going forward and reaching the nations because of, they need to be comforted with the hope of Christ. What would it look like if we became a church that was passionate about that? We might not see much of each other, <laughs> and that would be really sad. But, but here's the thing. Our citizenship isn't here. This isn't our permanent home. We have a promise of a permanent home where one day we can scatter the mess out of ourselves. We can go, and we will come back together, and we will have the opportunity to sit around the warm glow of the Holy Spirit who will be there with us and, and Jesus Christ and the Father and all be one together, and we can talk about the amazing thing that God did through us since we saw each other last. Wouldn't that be amazing? And then we could have an eternity to worship God for it. That's what we're called to. That's what makes us different. That's what makes us bug-eyed, pot-bellied aliens to the rest of the world. And we should live like it. <clears throat> um, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. I want to talk about our election because that's the hope. That is the fuel for what I'm talking about. That is why we would do something crazy like be dispersed. That is why we would live like exiles. Notice that um, Peter fleshes this out what it means to be an elect exile of the dispersion. Um, that word elect is informed by uh, verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. The picture there is that it's the Holy Trinity. <laughs> Did you notice the Father? According to His foreknowledge, He elected you. This is a Presbyterian church. We don't believe that foreknowledge means that he looked forward to see how great you would be and then chose you, right? We, we don't believe that you are choice, right? That you're something to be chosen. We believe that you were chosen unconditionally because of the love of the Father before the dawn of time. Now, think about that for just a second. That choice gives you all kinds of power and freedom and peace to be rejected, you could be rejected by this world left and right, but God the Father picked you before the dawn of time. You're chosen. You're chosen. And the Spirit is going to sanctify you. He's put His Spirit in you to transform you. If you're the kind of person that fades into the bushes like Homer Simpson, right? Good news. The Spirit sanctifies you, which means He sets you apart and cleanses you and sanctifies you, which means you can't hide your alien nature because God is in you. He is going to make you into a pot-bellied alien. Nobody can deny that there's something going on in you. He loves you that much. And then that last bit about, you know, being sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, that's what you're worth. God not only chose you, but He gave up His Son. He sacrificed Himself to sprinkle Him, sprinkle you with His blood. That's quite a price to pay for you. You can be rejected by all kinds of people. You can experience all kinds of lack of peace in this world. 
Because in, in the Holy Spirit, you have a Godhead who has worked from the dawn of time in various different ways to bring about your salvation and to bring you home. This isn't your home. God is your home. This world is not your family. God is your family. That is what you're called to, and that is what you can live out of and what enables you to be an exile dispersed throughout the world. My, um, my prayer as we go through this series, we just built the skeletal structure, and we're going to spend some time soaking in it and putting some muscle on this. Um, we're going to exercise this as a church. We're going to think about this. We're going to wrestle with it together. My hope is that we become transformed. If you were feeling convicted at any point of this sermon, here's the good news. If I were preaching this sermon to Peter himself at the point in which he wrote this letter, he'd feel convicted. Because remember, Peter, when it came time to own Christ, faded into the bushes like Homer Simpson. And yet, God transformed him to a point where, five years from writing this letter, he did anything but fade. He stood out in stark contrast to the world and was crucified upside down as a testimony to the hope that he had in Christ. What would it look like for us to be transformed that way? I don't know, but I can't wait. I want you to join me in praying. That's the application from this sermon. I just want you to pray. Here's why. Prayer is the weirdest thing in the world. <laughs> don't believe me? Find a non-Christian anywhere. Just find a non-Christian, walk up to him and say, hey, can we pray? Let me pray for you. And just watch them go, okay. <laughs> if you pr start praying regularly, you're going to start to feel your exile because guess what? Prayer also connects you with your home. You have an intimate, personal connection with the triune God who has saved you through prayer. You can soak in the reality of your salvation as you pray. And so, application for this sermon, just an introduction. We're just getting started. I want you to join me as we go through this series of praying. Pray for non-Christians around you. Pray for this world. Um, pray for this church to be transformed. Pray for us to understand our election and the hope that we have in Christ. And rejoice and celebrate that in prayer together. Let's do that now. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you that you have saved us, that because of what you have done for us, we can be okay with being despised and rejected. We can be okay with giving beyond what is in our best interest. And Lord, we can scatter and we can feel displaced because we know that you're going to use our place for your glory. Lord, be with us now as we come to the Lord's Supper. Help us to soak in the communion that we have with you. Be reminded of our worth and value. Help us to celebrate that and to rejoice in it together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.